This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry and we're live on Twitch. Hey, everybody. It's the Forever Mighty Postseason Show. Draft recap. Oh man, we got all three of us here today. Uh, Eddie and Jay, how you guys doing? I've returned to the closet uh, where, <laughs> oh. where I think all of our last live shows that that's I've like been the in worst thing you could have said in front of Jason. I know, Eddie, come out of the closet. We love you for you. Just come out of the closet. You don't need to be in there. <laughs> yeah, that's so. I mean, it's my great recording spot where I have the the sun in one corner and uh, it's completely dark in the other corner. So it's Harry that's Potter's why I put bedroom. myself in the bottom. Yeah, I put myself in the bottom so now nobody really has to see me and they can look at you guys. Yeah, so there we he's, go. He's a, he's a bottom in the closet. So oh, let's move along. <laughs> hey, Jason, looks like you got some friends with you on your jerseys over your shoulders. There, you got uh, some happy faces up there. Yeah, my, my daughter, uh, arts and crafty stuff, so uh, we figured that was probably the best place for him. And that, that that dude with the teeth, and then that's supposed to be Minnie Mouse, but her ear is broken or something. I don't know. I wasn't very gentle with it. <laughs> but uh, thank you for appreciating her artwork. Yeah, at least you got five, some friends so. there behind you, man. Looks good. <laughs> right? So we had a lot of uh, things that happened this weekend. The Ducks did some big things at the draft. Um, very happy overall with how things went, I would say. Um, mostly everybody else in the world thought so too. Only a couple teams got rated pretty poorly, but uh, who cares about them? Um, and then some wacky ass trade involving PK Subban happened this weekend. That was kind of the one that was off the wall. But uh, before we jump into the draft, Eddie, I know this is your favorite part of the year, uh, especially when there's no playoffs for the Ducks. Um, <laughs> how did you guys all feel about the NHL not figuring out their cap number? Before the draft started. Oh, that so was great. It was dead silent on the floor for the first day. Like nothing happened. Because yeah. nobody knew. I mean, even when those trades happened, they still didn't. There was still no public word of how much the cap was going to be. But I'm sure they probably had more of an idea that second day when, like, PK Subban got moved. I'm sure New Jersey, with all the cap space they still have, I mean, they still have $25 million after taking on a $9 million contract. Uh, I'm sure they had some sort of idea. That it was going to, I think it, it settled at 81 and a half is what it uh, yeah. It finished at. It was supposed to be 83, so that makes, uh, I guess that makes a significant difference in the long run. But it's unreal. I mean, it's typical NHL though, right? Like that nobody knows. And all the trades that are supposed to happen usually on the first day of the draft have to get pushed back to the second day because they couldn't figure their shit out. It's absurd. Yeah. It really is. Only in the NHL. 
Yeah, I don't understand why they don't have like a hard dateline. Like, hey, we know the draft is here. We want this done at least the day before. I mean, it doesn't have to be all that crazy. I just don't understand. Like, this is what it is, and we need to figure it out before then. So why, why not day of or you know the day after? Doing both of those is just how? <laughs> how does that not happen? No one just thought that it would get fixed. <laughs> It, it, it's uh, it was very hilarious, and when everyone was talking about it prior, like, hey, they don't really have a set date, like you just said. Why don't they have one? First of all, um, the NHL didn't even seem to panic about it, right? Like, no one came out and said anything. It's just kind of like, well, I guess, you know, we're just not going to have any movement on the first day. And it's, what's puzzling to me without uh, about, about all that is only a million and a half dollars. Like, they couldn't make moves without knowing about a million and a half bucks. Kind of yeah. funny. Um, yeah, because even if you even if you do it and say you're over the cap or whatever, you get all the way to the start of the season before you you know you have to get under it, so you can move pieces around after that. But I can see I it a little know. bit, right? Like if you're Nashville and you're you apparently they're considering holding up to three million dollars of PK Subban's contract, and if you have an extra one and a half to work with, that is a, a little bit you know that that blow of keeping that three million or retaining that three million of Subban's contract isn't as bad if you have one and a half less to work with. So for them on getting rid of Subban, it makes a little bit more sense. Maybe New Jersey came in on day two with that deal and said, Hey, well, you know, they were apparently the only team who was like, Oh yeah, we'll take all 9 million. They're probably the only team who could actually make that work. And that's why the return looked just awful and and what they actually got for him. And no surprise, the ducks, we're not even involved in it because there's no way they could probably even take on the six million if uh, even if Nashville retained three million of that. We don't need another two, three defense or three, four defensemen. Sorry, it's, and yeah. Subban's what he is. thirty. Like, how is PK Subban already thirty years old? I don't know. Yeah, another, another crazy stat with Subban is he's been traded twice at nine million dollars. He's the only player to ever be have a nine million dollar contract and be traded. It's happened twice. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. What is it about that guy? I don't know. Um, so we can get to that on the NHL show. We owe, we owe everybody an NHL show here for our uh, Patreon people, especially coming up this week. Because we have the overreaction by the NHL for media, or not media, but for, uh, my God, I say media, for um, all the coaches' challenging reviews. We'll definitely have time for that. But, uh, Eddie, yeah. let's get cracking on this draft, man. Let's let's take us through what happened here. Well, this is what everybody's here for. Uh, everybody's here to, to hear what we have to say about the prospects. And going into day one of the draft... I think it was Elliot Tiford put out an article where he said that the Ducks, he got some quotes from Murray and I believe Martin Madden as well, where he basically said that the Ducks were looking at three centers and that if they weren't on the board, they'd be willing to trade down possibly and try and grab somebody later on. Um, we speculated because but previously they said that they were looking for guys who could step into the NHL right away, that maybe it was Kirby Dock, Dylan Cozens, and Peyton Krebs because they're in the WHL and they probably could make the quickest jump when you look at the fact that Turcotte and Zgres and the other centers uh, are committed to the NCAA and that route generally takes a little bit longer. So we didn't expect it, honestly. We, we had Steve Cornianos come on. Trevor Zgres was his third-ranked prospect behind Hughes and Kako. Um, I was hoping maybe Kirby Dock or uh, Alex Turcotte, if possible, could fall, or maybe Dylan Cozens would be available. I know Dylan Cozens was your guy, Pat, if yep. he was going to fall uh, to three. A lot of people high on, on Peyton Krebs, but uh, you know the draft starts after Hughes and Kako, right? And uh, the Blackhawks go off the board and take Kirby Dock at three, and then uh, ter- uh, it's uh, Bowen Byram goes to Colorado at four, and then Turcotte to LA at five, and then the Red Wings go way, way off the board and take Moritz Sider, and I think what a lot of people believe is that's what opened up 
the spot for Zegras to fall because if he was going to go anywhere, it's probably to Detroit at six and uh, Buffalo gets Cousins at seven. Edmonton needs a defenseman and they have a new GM. No, uh, no Shirelli. Shirelli probably would have taken Zegras uh, <laughs> to go in and, and compete with Nugent Hopkins and Drysaddle and, and McDavid, but they take Broberg. And uh, that leaves Zegras to to the Ducks. And at that point, only, you know, I, I had to mute the TV and I got my girlfriend to tell me who they picked because I still wasn't sure if, if Bob Murray was going to mess it up or not. I, I didn't want to, <laughs> you know, he could not that going Caulfield or going somebody else was going to mess it up at that point. But when you have a player like Trevor Zegras on the board and you're looking for a franchise altering center, it's the guy you got to go with. And, and luckily they do. And I can't be happier, honestly. I mean, this, this is the guy you look way back and, and you think, you know, who would be the guy outside of Hughes or Kako that you'd want? And a lot of people had him uh, as their guy. And, you know, he ends up going nine. When I looked at 15 different mock drafts, uh, 13 of them had him going higher than nine. And a few of them, like Steve and others, had him as high as number three. And, he you know, he has the potential to be a top five player in this draft. And he ends up falling to the Ducks at nine. Yeah, you know what? You you telling that story of muting the TV and then asking your girlfriend to tell you. All I could think about is Jason and I as kids like didn't watch overtime. It was a playoff game with the Ducks against Phoenix game, uh, game six. Six. Goes to OT. Yeah. We missed Korea score. We're outside. We can't even watch. They're going to lose. I, I didn't want him to hear it, man. Because I, 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 I just felt like he could still mess it up. Even though Broberg was off the board. Like, you just felt like there was maybe some, you know, maybe Peyton Krebs. Is, I, I wasn't as high on Peyton Krebs as other people. But I felt like maybe he's going to go Peyton Krebs. Or maybe he's going to go somebody else at that slot. And uh, luckily, he wins Zegras. Should, should have done it a different way, Ed. You should have uh, put a camera on you and be like one of those people you always see who goes viral. They lose their mind at the draft or something <laughs> like that, and you like bust a TV or something. I want to see Eddie do that. I <laughs> should have. I was yeah. going. I was going pretty nuts after that. Uh, honestly, I, I I think a lot of people, especially now too, can't be happy with with him falling to the Ducks. I know we were surprised in our in our group chat after the fact that he ended up falling to nine. Uh, was something I, I didn't expect. I had written it off. I mean, we talked about who they could they could look at, and we talked about Cousins, we talked about Doc, we talked about Krebs and Caulfield and Broberg, and uh, Zegers wasn't even a guy we really went into depth with. Mm-hmm. Even with uh, Steve Cornianos, we just didn't even really talk about him because it didn't seem fathomable that he'd actually fall that far. I didn't think he was going to be an option at all. I, I thought there was no way. Um, I did like I did like Cousins a lot, but uh, Trevor Zegers. I mean, even Corey Promen has said that um, you know he was the probably the third best pure offensive talent in the draft. That's a lot of high praise going all the way around. I mean, Steve's got him. Corey's got him. A bunch of other guys had him up high too. So it's, it's unreal that we finally, I mean, I mean, we've been talking about on this show, who's the next guy to step in line and play, you know, one C on this team and take over for Getzloff. Of course, there's development that needs to be done. Of course, we need to see if he, if he pans out to be that guy. But from all accounts, this is the guy to take that step. And that's a huge, huge thing for the Ducks, who kind of dried up at center, honestly. I mean, there wasn't a lot of center depth on this team um, of high-end potential, you know, after Ryan Getzloff. And, you know, he's 34 years old. And, I mean, geez, it's, 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 he's, he's down to maybe what? He's got maybe one more contract after this, and he's, he's got to probably look like Joe Thornton and be done. So this is a huge deal for the Ducks. Absolutely. It, it takes the, you know, it's the checklist that they kind of have to run through. One of the things that this organization is going to have to develop is exactly that. Who's going to replace Ryan Getzloff? Because we know Henrik's not really that person. Sam Steele, that's a really high ceiling to see him get to. Um, and, you know, after that, Kessler's gone. So what was once kind of a, a dominant one, two, would see kind of a weak number two trying to be a number one and, a, you know, 
uh, another number, kind of weak number two. So, uh, and this guy's kind of close to what uh, Getzloff does as far as his playmaking ability too. So, hopefully, you know, it's kind of uh, something similar where he comes in, can find a good winger, just like uh, Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff, and all of a sudden we might have, you know, the, the second generation of something similar. Yeah, it's like Korea Solani, Getzloff, Perry. Now we're getting on to the next step here with these with these other guys coming into the league. Um, the thing about about Zegers too, though, it's it's uh, you, you know you don't get the big bruising center. The kid's six foot, like buck seventy, buck eighty. He's not this hulking guy that's going to waste you in the corners and free up the puck. You know, Ducks old style hockey. This is more along the lines of what the new NHL is going to want, right? Younger, faster. So good to see the Ducks pick up such a special player, man. Um, Ed, how do you how do you feel about the next pick? Well, we got it before we get into the Ducks' twenty ninth pick. Uh, Eric Stevens put out an article today where he talked about the, the fact that the Ducks had a deal in place apparently with Dallas to oh, uh, to yes. move yeah to to move up from. I, they didn't say what the deal was, but he talked about possibly how it could have been the twenty ninth and thirty ninth pick to move up to eighteen to take Peyton Krebs because he was sliding at that point, and uh, Vegas ruined it all by drafting him seventeen. <laughs> uh, I mean, you would have to say they probably would have been the winners of the draft, being able to get uh, Zegras at nine and him falling there, and then also to catch Peyton Krebs at, at 18 if he ended up getting past Vegas. It's unfortunate they didn't, uh, because Zegras, as great as he is and as much as he's played center, there's still speculation on whether he's going to play center or wing at the NHL level. And I think you know next year when he goes to Boston University, he'll still figure that out. And obviously once he gets his way to the NHL, which is hopefully only in, in another year, uh, they'll start to determine that, but Peyton Krebs is, is more than likely going to be a center at the at the NHL level, and they would have been able to get maybe two elite centers or an elite winger and a guy who's going to play center if they had got that deal off. It it sucks. I mean, I love their other two picks. Don't get me wrong, I love twenty what they got at twenty nine and thirty nine. But if you're going for sure bet guys who are going to be top six players in the NHL, getting Zagres and Krebs in uh, the first round would have been unreal. What about uh, Edmonton liking Broberg? Uh, did you see that that little uh, quote in the, in, uh, the Stevens article? We knew Edmonton liked Broberg like we did. I was like, oh, thank God we didn't get him. <laughs> <laughs> of course they like Broberg. Well, Broberg is exactly, in, in a way, like Hampus Lindholm. I think he's a little bit uh, better skater than Lindholm is. But, Dude, watch uh, your mouth, course, man. You can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> of, of course Bob Murray liked uh, like Broberg, but uh, I'm glad Edmonton took him. Honestly, for, for Edmonton, it's a smart move to take him. They don't need... And the last thing they need is a player like Trevor Zegers when you look at the fact they've got McDavid and Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins, and he would just be a guy that they would force him to trade another uh, elite forward away to get a defenseman, and you know they traded Taylor Hall to get Adam Larson because they needed a defenseman, <laughs> and now they're in need of more defensemen. The only <laughs> other thing that maybe would have made sense at that pick for them is Cole Caulfield, but I think like a lot of people, they were they were scared of his size, and that's why he fell to Montreal, but... I'm, I'm I'm glad that Ken Holland decided to take Broberg because if he had taken Zegers, you know Bob Murray was going to take Broberg yeah. at that spot. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to to the next pick because this is one uh, I I didn't really call it per se. I said I think before the Ducks' 29th pick, it was like 20 or 21st pick. I said Braden Tracy would be a great guy for the Ducks. I would love that pick at number 39, and. Uh, that number 29 comes up and, and Martin Madden gets up and he, he announces Braden Tracy's name. And I, I was happy for sure. I, I think a lot of people, uh, because he's kind of under the radar and he's not, you know, until people looked into him, there's guys like Arthur Cali, Evan Raphael, Lavoie, uh, and, and a lot of other guys on the board. 
that were more enticing names that were ranked a lot higher in more mock drafts. But uh, Braden Tracy is, is an interesting guy because not too many guys forego their rookie season in junior, and he decided that he needed to go back to AAA. And uh, he went back to AAA for his 17-year-old season, came back this year, and played what is now his rookie season in the WHL. Uh, played on probably the best line in the league with Moose Jaw, and uh, won Rookie of the Year, put up, I think, 36 goals. Um, and played with two overagers and, and really just lit it up. And then he went in, into the U18 tournament with Canada and was one of their best players and put up seven points in seven games. So the Ducks like to look for those guys. They like to look for the guys that have a better second half, that are improving, maybe late bloomers, if you want to call it that. And uh, he was jumping up a lot of people's mock drafts from, from midseason rankings. And, you know, I'm surprised he went in the first round. But I think the Ducks took him there because they probably didn't think he was going to last at 39. They probably didn't think he'd make it that far. Are you worried about him though? Because I know that when he was when he was uh, playing on that top end line, he he wasn't able to score a bunch of points without those overagers, right? So that was that was kind of the concern about him is that uh, his point production would be, um, you know, basically on who he's playing with, not that he's driving play on his own. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a concern for sure. And I think that's why a lot of people might have had him lower is, uh, you know, overagers generally put up a ton of points in any league, especially good players. And the two guys he was playing with were 20. Uh, so, you know, they put up, I think they both had over 100 point seasons. Uh, but you don't know yet, right? We you know we talk about uh, is was Alex Dabrinkit a product of Connor McDavid? And obviously that wasn't true. Was Dylan Strom a product of, of Connor McDavid or was uh, Dylan Strom a product of Dallas Dabrinkit? You know, we don't know if that's true yet. This is, it goes the same. We're talking about Zegras maybe being a product of Jack Hughes or is he is he his own player. We'll find out the same thing, I think, with Braden Tracy next year when uh, he'll be, you know, without those two guys because they won't be there with Moose John next year. And it will be really his team to try and go out and, and prove that he's the player. I mean, that's what you have to wait for all prospect prospects, essentially, to see if they pan out. But I know there's a lot of people that were high on him. I was surprised that you were so high on him, honestly, just because of that issue with him maybe not being as good as people thought he was going to be. Um, and you think it's just because that he, he jumped all those spots considering his second half of the season? That's why everyone's like, oh, take him, take him, take him. Where did he go? I don't know. Is that gone? <laughs> oh, sorry. I was, I was I was dying over here. I was uh, uh I was coughing, so I muted my mic and I didn't get it back on. But uh, yeah, it's definitely because of his play in the second half of the season. There, uh, he jumped up. Like I said, a ton of people's mock drafts from probably going late third or fourth round up into projected around the second round for most people. And then the fact the Ducks took him in the first round, I think, was because they thought there was uh, some people right after them, maybe even in you know the last few picks of the first round that he might not make it out and especially wouldn't make it to 39. So I, I'm glad they took the risk. He's a bit of a project. He, you know, he his skating isn't perfect, uh, but he does what the Ducks are, are, you know, they classically draft these types of guys, guys who can go to the net. Uh, they need some snipers in their system. They don't have a lot. Maxime Comtois, you could argue, is really their only one. And he's a pure sniper. He's got one of the better shots in the draft, and he's been working on it. And, uh, you know, putting up 36 goals and over 80 points in your rookie season, it's nothing to sniff at, no matter who you're playing with. So I think they're going to work with this guy. They have a lot of experience drafting out of the WHL. And, uh, you know, he'll he'll put on some weight, and that will help him with his skating and his stride and his physicality. And if he's already playing that style where he likes to go to the net, that's that's only going to help him. And and I think, you know, having another season at Moose Jaw, probably two more seasons before he makes his way to Anaheim or to uh, San Diego, uh, I think by the time he gets here, I, I might be only you know one of the few people who thinks he, he could have fulfilled that top six potential. But when you look back on this draft in a couple of years, I think he's going to kind of be like what we've seen with Sam Steele. Uh, he'll end up being a steal uh, from the 2019 draft. 
Yeah, I mean, they also play won- on words. <laughs> I, I heard that too. Steel, 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 steel. Yeah, they also said that he, he's a good. Uh, his UA U eighteen Canadian coach uh, also said that he was a guy that they like on the power play. Right, gets into the quiet areas. That's like a hockey term that people love to throw around with guys who are able to score goals. So that that's definitely something that Ducks could use in their system. So it'd be, it'd be great to see where he pans out here. Yeah, and I, I would say, uh, I mean, if I always kind of you, you always say like, oh, you're worried if he's not driving play on his own, but. I mean, for a lot of it, he may, you know, he may not end up being that dynamic player like an Andre Kasher or something like that. But if the Ducks are going to have, you know, the next wave of young players with a lot of high end skill, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to drive play. And especially if, you know, he's in that top six role, he's generally going to be playing with a lot of the talent that we have kind of coming up. So I feel like uh, that I wouldn't think that's the next much Chris of a concern. Yes. Put your exactly, stick on the right? ice and bury it. Nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I think there, you know, there's some risk here in the sense that you know he's boomer bust and whether he's going to be a top six prospect, but I think he has enough of the tools that no matter what, it is also kind of a safe pick at the same point because he's probably going to play in the NHL maybe as a third line or fourth line grinder who contributed at offense. So the Ducks generally play it safe, but they do take a risk in the fact that you know you might have gotten a better player, a more sure thing in Lavoie or Kaliev at that point, but I think they think down the road. Uh, the rest of the, the you know the skill set that he has, if he pans out and, and works out, he's going to be a better player than some of the guys that they left on the board. And I want to read a couple of quotes I, I think on on Tracy because I know this is probably the most intriguing pick for a lot of people because it was uh, there was a lot of different names on the board. Uh, his U18 Canada coach uh, Brett Gibson said, uh, "The thing about Tracy is he knows who he is. Goals are at a premium nowadays, and that kid knows how to get to the areas to score goals." The biggest credit I can give Braden Tracy is I find on the power play you have to put your smartest player on the bumper on a 1-3-1, one, 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 and that's where we put Braden because he was able to get to those quiet areas and either release the puck or find his teammates. That's where we had success. Honestly, think of how many, you know, the players in the Ducks system right now, how many guys can you say that do that, maybe do that where they are now or that could do that at the NHL level? I don't think we have too many. Maybe Maxim Comtois. But a lot of what the Ducks have been drafting lately is either smart two-way guys, speedy guys, or guys who can pass the puck, playmakers like Sam Steele. This is arguably what they needed at this pick, and a guy who can also go and, and live in front of the net because they love those types of guys. So I, I have nothing wrong with this. I think you know the easiest thing to teach uh, going into the NHL level is skating and to improve on. And if, if skating is really only his knock right now, then I, I think he'll improve on it, and, and that will be something the Ducks could easily work on. Yeah, that's you can't teach. Uh, you know, you can teach a lot of things in hockey, uh, but definitely skating is the one you could you could definitely improve on for sure. I mean, you can't teach size. They hope he fills out his frame, right? Yeah, that's what you say. That's why Tyler Myers is getting uh, eight million with the Vancouver Canucks. You can't teach size, right? Oh, God. <laughs> Ricky's saying I'm hating on Comfortable. I'm not hating on Comfortable. I'm actually giving Comfortable praise as possibly being the only sniper the Ducks have in their prospect system right now. Uh, Comtois is probably, you could say, you now before this draft was was the top prospect the Ducks have. So I'm definitely not hating on Comtois. I didn't feel any hate. I think you're good. Yeah, yeah, I think you're good. It's just right. you're, you're Canadian, so you have to be overly nice. And if you're just kind of nice, I got to get excited about the, the top Canadian the Ducks drafted because they went heavy American this year. So I have to get excited. <laughs> Killed you. About Brain Tracy. Um, Let's let's move on to pick thirty nine because this one uh, this one was probably as off the board as it gets at this point. I mean, there were some people who had Jackson Lacombe ranked high, not as high as thirty nine, 
Uh, Craig Button had him at 49. Bob McKenzie had him at 44. And, and actually, ISS had him exactly at 39. Uh, but then after that, it goes all over the place. Some people had him around 70, 80. Uh, I believe uh, Steve Cornelius had him at like 120-something. So he was kind of all over the place. Uh, and and the, the reason because of that is he just switched to playing defense about two years ago. He, he's at uh, prep school Shattuck St. Mary's. And uh, he came in as a forward, and they switched him to defense because of some injuries, and he's kind of just stuck around there. And, you know, when you put up 80 points in, in 50 or so games, even against high school opposition, uh, it's going to make people turn their heads, and obviously the Ducks like that. He's committed to the University of Minnesota, which is going to be huge for his development because now he's going to, from playing high school kids to going and playing against men, guys who are you know upwards of 23, 24 years old. That will be huge. You know, if, if he goes there and produces and puts up points, uh, then, you know, this is going to look like a steal. But this is what the Ducks need. Again, you know, we look at they needed a playmaking number one center. They got it. They needed another sniper, a guy who can score goals in their system. They got that at 29. And how long have we talked about, uh, even since Brandon Montour left, that the Ducks need a guy who can be a power play quarterback, a guy who can put up points from the blue line, a quick skater, a guy who can transition the puck up the ice. If this guy was the best at the draft in that, and even though he's a project in his own zone, you got to take the risk there because you've got some cover in Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm and some of the even some of the other defensemen they drafted this year and, and you know Jakob Larson where you've got a lot of steady two-way guys. You can take the risk on a guy who could be you know a top four power play quarterback in, on your team. Yeah, they had to take him. I mean, they had to go uh, towards defense too, right? They already have their prospect full pool filling up with forwards, and like you said, they took a sniper and a playmaker, you know, possible one C in the league. And then they turned around and just went heavy D the rest of the way in the draft. So, and this guy, like you said, I know that Steve said something about him not have, not being very structurally sound defensively. But, I mean, who cares about defense, right? Hockey's all about scoring goals. So, get the, get the, puck, to, <laughs> well, get yeah. the puck up the ice. And yeah. he just switched to the position, right? Like, for, for a guy switching to defense you know, only two years ago... <laughs> Uh, he looks pretty good for making that transition pretty quickly, right? You, you know, he, he has the perfect place, I, I would argue, to make that transition against high school opponents where he can, you know, kind of rely on his offense right now and slowly get used to the defensive game where he's not thrown into tough competition. It's not like he's playing, you know, in, in the USHL or he's playing in the OHL or, or somewhere in the CHL where it's tougher competition and he's going to get flamed right away uh, because he's making that transition into the big thing we'll see how he does against college like i said if, if you know that's where the ducks will really start trying to work on his defensive game it's a bit of a project there but again if any team is going to work on him and get the best out of him on defense i, I feel like it's the ducks i mean look what they've done with hampus lindholm look what they've been able you know look who they've drafted on defense recently the way they've been able to churn out good defensemen there i if, if they're drafting him at 39 i think it's because they know that they can get him to the point where his defense will be good enough that they can rely on his offensive game at the NHL level. Yeah, and hopefully they have, you know, a, a good D partner uh, for him. So if that's, you know, the case where you can have him take those risks if someone else is there to be, basically be able to, to back him up a little bit, I always kind of like the guys that can play offense or have an offensive mind, and they're good enough to play defense. I mean, you look like uh, – uh, Brett Burns was a winger, went to defense. Uh, Dustin Bufflin, same thing. I mean, those guys can do it. Not saying that he's of that you know level or anything, uh, but it's, since we're dying for someone to be a playmaking center and someone on the the power play, uh, even if he doesn't 
you know, check off all the lists on the defensive side of the puck. If you can get someone to play alongside with them and that still nurtures his offensive creativity, then I think that that could really be helpful for the Ducks down the road. And you're still going to have your staples in there, you know, uh, Fowler and Lindholm and Manson for quite a while. So, I mean, this this kid can kind of take his time, you know, honing those skills. I mean, listen, you look at the, the first three picks, the Ducks were, were kind of mapping out what the, their power play for the future is going to look like. You're, you're going to have Zegers being the, the playmaker and the guy in the half wall dishing out to everybody. You're going to have Braden Tracy in front of the net trying to score some goals. And, and you're going to have, hopefully, Jackson Lacombe on the back end being the power play quarterback. I mean, if everything pans out, that's the way you'll want to go. And in all three of these guys that they drafted in their first three picks are, are important pieces of their team's power play. And obviously the power play has been a problem for a long time for the Ducks, and they haven't been able to get things going. And I'm not saying that's the only reason they drafted these guys, but that has to be in mind. And you see that in some of the comments that they've, they've said about why they drafted these players. And, you know, I, the Ducks don't take too many risks. We see that in drafts. They drafted Isaac Lundersom at 23 before. He was kind of a safe pick to take there. The same uh, with Max Jones as well. You know he was a big guy. He was going to play. And even this, the same can be said for Sam Steele a little bit too because of his skill level and what he had done prior, that he was going to be a safe pick. Uh, Braden Tracy is a little bit of a, a reach, but this one I like a lot is, is you know, this is boomer bust. He's, he's either going to make the NHL or he might not. Uh, because, you know, if he doesn't figure out the defense, he's probably not going to be good enough. He's going to be like a Ryan Murphy or, or somebody of that type where who had, was very, very skilled offensively, but they couldn't figure the defense out. If he figures it out... Maybe he'll turn out to be get... more like a Roman Yossi. Roman Yossi, right, exactly. his scattering report back in the day was, you know, that he wasn't very physical. He could move the puck really well. You know, he had some minor weaknesses. Um, they were able to clean that up and look who that guy is now. So, yeah. I mean, he could be a Roman Yossi, a Tory Krug. You know, like this this guy two years ago was 5'10. Now he's 6'2. You know, he had a growth spurt. He's, he's getting bigger. He'll fill out. He's a big kid. And, uh, you know, you, he's got the offensive skills already. If it, that translates to the NHL, you can teach him enough defense that you put the right guys around him, he'll do well. And, and I, I like that type of pick because we don't see it often from the Ducks. And it's what they desperately need. Brandon Montour just really didn't pan out to be that guy. You know, it, it's unfortunate that Lacombe is left shot because the Ducks really needed a right shot guy. Didn't they draft all left-handed shot defensemen the rest of the way? I think they're uh, all left-handed. Will, right. Will, Will Francis was a, a right shot D. But the, this draft was very weak on right shot D. And Caden Korzak and Anthony Honka, they all went in the, the third round where the Ducks didn't have a pick. Uh, and at that point, they'd already drafted Jackson Lacombe. So I think they thought he was going to be better than those guys I just mentioned. And, uh, you know, if you think he's going to be better and you think he has the highest upside, which I do of all offensive defensemen in this draft, he has the highest upside if everything pans out correctly, then go for it. Take the risk. I I'm happy that they're taking risks. They had three picks in the top 40. You can afford taking one risk of those picks. So they go, they go offensive risk with Jackson, and then they go to Henry Thrun at 101 and get a stay-at-home defenseman. That's yeah. very, very, very much this Ducks is, management here. Yeah. This is their pick. This is this is the typical pick we see from du when you draft uh, when the Ducks draft a defenseman, uh, a guy who does everything okay or well, but doesn't do a, a, anything exceptionally well. Uh, here, here it is, right here. Can... Patient puck mover was under him. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's him. Yeah. It, that that's at the right. top of the Ducks draft board every year. Is the, the just the words patient puck mover is what they're looking for. Um, yeah, yeah. Honestly, he he is. 
prototypical defenseman, the Ducks draft. Uh, he's an average skater, not bad, but you know he's right at average what you expect. He's a pretty good passer, but he doesn't make you know ridiculous type passes. He doesn't make crafty passes like Jackson Lacombe makes. Uh, he has a decent shot, decent low shot, uh, and he plays physical. And he plays a good two-way game. You know, the staple of his game is, is his defense, and, and I think it complements what the Ducks did before. You know, again, he seems like a safe pick in that he is probably going to make the NHL if, you know, at the low end is a 5-6, which is not a bad thing. You know, you can always use guys like that. Again, disappointed that he's a, he's a left shot. Uh, but there, there's some people who had him really high, and, and he was kind of all over the place. The fact that the Ducks got him at 101, I think, was kind of a a steal for this. You know, he uh, the hockey writers had him at 74. Uh, Craig Button had him at 71. Scott Wheeler had him at 38. And Bob McKenzie had him at 62, and he goes 101 to the Ducks. And, yeah, there were some people who had him ranked lower than 101. Um, so it kind of shows you how many people are split on this guy, which is a little bit interesting. I think most of that has to do with the fact you look at the team he played on. He played on that stacked national development team program. So is he good defensively? Is he, you know, is he even decent offensively? Who knows? He's playing with arguably the best draft team ever in, in the history when you look at who went from that team. Uh, how much does he benefit from playing on that team? That will be remain to be seen, but I, I think I think he's his own player. I think he's a very good player, and I think getting him at 101 uh, was one of the better options that they could go with at that point. Another good American kid, right? I'm sure you're happy yeah, about that. that I, want, I want to keep hearing about this development and how awesome and stacked it is. Yeah, he's a the USN, USN, uh, or yeah, US, oh my God, I can't talk, USNT. D just said, I Stop when we recorded this I hate saying that when where we were trying to get you on, I, I've messed it up so many times. I hate saying that. Uh, I was gonna say US national development team. That's just way easier That's to say. what I said. I just yeah. kept trying to say the NTDP. You're <laughs> gonna say, say NTDP. Yeah, you could do that. <laughs> and another guy committed to the NCAA. He's committed to Harvard. Uh the Ducks. I mean, they, five they of six of them were gonna go to college, right? Yeah, oh. five five or seven of them went to college. Yeah. He uh yeah, they, not, they said yes. <laughs> I mean, they said Harvard. yesterday or they said today i think they said in a story today that they weren't trying to do that that's just the way it worked out with the players they drafted maybe maybe that's the case when you look at who they got there but uh, a lot of them end up being committed to the ncaa which the ducks do every now and then but not usually this many especially how you know they've been burned by that in the past with justin schultz so you don't see it too often do you want to go to some yeah, questions they- here before we keep going or do you want to uh to get to the end of the picks Let's get to the end of the picks. I doubt I doubt we have too many questions about the last three guys. Um, I do I do want to talk about Trevor Yannick though, because I think that's another smart pick from the Ducks. Um, I think you know they did obviously you know Martin Madden is, is a great uh, head scout and they they do the research every year and uh, generally you tend to agree with who they pick at every spot. But uh, a lot of people thought this could be a steal. Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News called this pick a steal and, and called Trevor Yannick a smart creative passer. And he lives around the net. I mean, again, a smart, creative guy who can pass the puck and lives around the net just seems like what the Ducks like to draft, especially at that point. And, and there were some people, you know, Craig Button had him ranked 87, goes 132nd to the Ducks, and uh, the hockey writers had him at number 70. So there were some people who were really high on this guy. Uh, was He did play for the NTDP last year, uh, <laughs> but he was playing in the 
was playing in the USHL this year, and he's committed to Notre Dame, so another NCAA prospect for the Ducks this year. Uh, but he's one of those Swiss Army Knife type guys. He just kind of does everything. Again, he doesn't do anything elite, but you know he's a good passer. He has a pretty good shot. He's a decent skater. Uh, he goes to the net. He's, he's decently physical. He's not too small at five. Another guy no picked problem. at uh, 132 that some guys had under 100, right? Button at 87, yeah. and the hockey riders at 70. So exactly, yeah. maybe the Ducks are getting lucky uh, here and getting and getting uh, you know picks much later in the draft than they should have. Yeah, and, and apparently one scout said he has 20 goal potential in the NHL just because of his ability to score in a variety of ways. If that pans out and you get a guy who can score 20 goals consistently at pick 132, that that's a huge steal. And uh, you know, just you know, that's one scout's opinion. Obviously, there were some people that were lower on this guy, but the fact that you know there is some potential here and you got this guy in the fifth round, 132nd overall. It's worth it, and I think it's a really good pick for the Ducks, and it's a right wing. I mean, you know, the Ducks just bought out Corey Perry. There are still a lot of spots at right wing, but this is a guy who can play center or the wing, and you can kind of move him all around the lineup. Maybe he plays top six. Maybe he plays, you know, third line. Maybe he plays fourth line one night. He's just one of those guys that you can move all over the lineup. Yeah, and if he's got tenacity around the front of the net, he'll probably find a home with the Ducks, you know, if he's at least at that level. And, you know, Everyone wants to see everyone we draft be, you know, top top two or, you know, top six forwards. But eventually you're going to need those guys that are, are movable. And when they're talking about the third and fourth line guys, you want that tenacity around the net, something to create a little bit of excitement on, you know, those third and fourth lines. They don't necessarily create all that much offense necessarily. So what? I think it's a good pickup. For sure. You don't want Chris Kelly in your bottom six? You, you don't want Captain Canada? <laughs> yeah. You don't uh, want yeah, you don't want to Jason Charmera. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's they're all speed, man. <laughs> he's like he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, you look at because uh, they just won the Stanley Cup. You know, it's, it's fresh on your mind. But a guy like Tyler Bozak, who you can plug in anywhere and he kind of just does everything OK. And, and, you know, he's good at face offs. He's, he's really he's good at getting a lot of penalties uh, in a Stanley yeah. Cup final game. Really good at that. He's good. Good defensively goes to the net. Like, you know, I, I'm not saying that's a direct comparison. I haven't seen enough footage on Trevor Yannick, but just one of those types of guys that you kind of need on a championship team that you can move around that can contribute at key times. Seems like if if his upside you know gets fulfilled that he could be that type of guy and you know the Ducks need that they've they've got some you know Isaac Lindstrom arguably could be that type of guy as well Max Jones is that type of guy you need those types of guys in your system. No, for sure, man. But let's let's wrap this up. Let's get to one sixty three one eighty six. Yeah, it gets a little bit less information. Obviously, we get down to the six round picks. Uh, you know, oh, you mean where you where you have your note on here about uh, Matthew Hill, super polite kid? And I was like, well, that's a, <laughs> that's a I guess. was I was that's reporting you don't get from NHL Network. Right? I was scrounging for information. I mean, for for the one sixty three, uh, Will Francis. There was some some more information on him. Not a lot. Uh, he's committed to the uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, he played forward at times this year, but I think that was out of necessity for his team. He's he's a big six foot five right shot defenseman. He's already two twelve, so I mean he's already got the size and and, uh, and build to play in the NHL. But uh, more of a, a long term project. Now, apparently he's nasty, hard to play against. You know he'll he'll he could be that like six or seven guy that you plug in every now and then, and and you know it's matchup based and. Uh, it's something they don't have right they don't you know they need right shot defensemen you could argue josh manson is that type of guy uh it's never a bad thing to have some of those guys in your system especially when you look at what they drafted in defensemen before this and they went with a a, you know a high offensive skilled guy a two-way guy and then i think this one complements it where you go with a a shutdown guy who is also a right shot because they hadn't drafted a right shot defenseman yet yeah and you got to get somebody nasty on the blue line i always like that 
and, and they got to restock uh, San Diego. We've been pulling up defensemen left and right over the last few years. Seriously. I think uh, at this point he's, you know, it, it can at least fill that out. And then with size, hopefully, yeah, he can be a little bit nasty and uh, be that five, six guy. Cause uh, quite honestly, we don't have a whole lot of those guys that uh, are really tough around in front of our net. I always like to at least have one of those guys kind of waiting in the wing, just in case, you know, you get into the playoffs and it gets a little bit more physical. Your team's getting pushed around a little bit. It's nice to have uh, a bigger guy. In oh there yeah. Kind of I mean, the change, blues change that throttled the Boston yeah. Bruins, which is hilarious. Bertuzzo type guy or Gunnarsson type. I mean, if you get that from a six round pick, that's a win. Like you oh, need a guy who can play win. in the NHL at the, at the sixth round and, and can just contribute in any way. And, you know, a guy with that size as a right shot defenseman, as we see with Tyler Myers, is always going to be a valuable piece if you can put him in your lineup. So uh, I think he complements what the Ducks have because they have, you know, Hampus Lindholm's not a small guy. I believe he's 6'3", and you know, uh, Fowler's over 6 feet, and you know, they've, they've got some decent-sized guys. Uh, but, you know, the only real physical shutdown type guy they have is Josh Manson. He's kind of gotten away from that a bit. So if you can get a guy like Will Francis in your system eventually and he can play some games in three or four years – He's the type of guy that you need at that bottom part of your lineup. Yeah, I mean, I like the Kings have McDermott, right? He doesn't do anything on the ice but try to take people's heads off. I don't necessarily <laughs> want that guy, but I want the guy on the ice to fight that guy. That's what I want. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, for for the last pick, uh, I don't I don't think Matthew Hill uh, out of the Barry Colts was ranked uh, anywhere. I didn't really see his name come up. He wasn't ranked on uh, Steve Carniano's top 250, I think, that he put out in his draft report. I couldn't find too much information on him. He, he, all I found is he's another big kid. He's like 6'3", 200 pounds, shutdown type guy. Uh, and, and the only information I was able to find is I had to talk to a, a scout with the Barry Colts to find out any information on this guy because there's no draft pro- profile. There was there was nothing on him, really. Uh, and like you said, uh, they just said he's a super polite kid. Uh, he's a stay-at-home <laughs> type who, who really plays a safe type of game. Uh, boxes out and hard to get around. And Dale Horachuk, who's the coach of the Barry Colts, apparently loves him. So, Hell yeah. Uh, again, I... Very much of a long shot to make uh, the NHL. He'll be back with Barry next year. Uh, but, uh, you know, if he makes it, it's on, uh, you know, he has to uh, really work on the defensive side of the game. And, and obviously he relies on his size then to to get him to the NHL at that point. But maybe he, he ends up being an important player for San Diego down the road. Yeah, he's Canadian, right? He's Canadian? Uh, yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that is such a Canadian thing to do when you call up, hey, do you have any information on this guy? Oh, he's, he's super polite. <laughs> Yeah, what a, what a nice guy. He's just, he's just a nice kid. That's the first you know? thing. That's the first he thing went, I heard, too. <laughs> yeah. First thing that comes to mind is he's a super polite kid. So. Yeah, we went out for poutine, and he paid for it. Just a great kid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we we got to get uh, to some questions, man, because there were some good ones that came through on Instagram. So thank you guys for those. But before we get to that, we have to address the P.K. Subban trade. Why did this happen? I am like... Very, Did very befuddled as to why this is going on. Money. And is, the are they just trying right. to get? Are they? Try, it's like Jersey trying to get Taylor Hall to want to stay in New Jersey. They're like, hey man. Well, oh yeah. Well, that's probably why New Jersey yeah, brought him in. New Jersey, yeah. And they were the only team who could take on that that full nine million dollar contract. But if you're in Nashville, like as bad as the return is, I kind of get it because they shed all of that nine million. They can go after like Matt Duchesne, which is apparently what they're going after. And they were going to lose PKC Ben probably. They got to re-sign to... Roman Yossi this summer yeah. too, don't they? 
Yeah, but they'll, they'll get that done. But mm-hmm. they were going to lose Subban likely to Seattle anyway because they had to protect Yoshi and uh, and Ellis Echo. and uh, Echo. Echo. So you're going to likely lose Subban anyway to, to Seattle for the last couple of years of his contract. You might as well try and get something from him. And then if they <laughs> sign Duchesne, then this deal becomes whatever they got from uh, from New Jersey, the two second-round picks, Jeremy Davies and Steve Santini, plus Matt Duchesne because they used that salary cap space to go out and get Matt Duchesne. That's not as bad of a deal when you look at it like that, especially because P.K. Subban is coming off his worst year in his career, and he's 30 years old, and he's making $9 million. I mean, that's kind of what you get when you uh, you don't want to eat any salary in return, and you've got a team like New Jersey who's willing to take on that entire contract. There was four teams after that guy. That's that's absurd to yeah. me. That's crazy. That was four guys that <laughs> New Jersey was the only one. New Jersey's the only one that was willing to, to eat the whole nine. Jeez. Um... Yeah, and then uh, you know, and then that kind of leads to a little bit of the rumor with Perry possibly going over to Nashville too. Oh boy! Sign Duchesne for eight, get Perry for one. Oh, we get to talk about Perry in a little bit today. I'm excited about <laughs> that. Excited about uh, that. In our chat, people are wondering. And I still wonder this too. How the hell is New Jersey still under the cap floor after taking on that nine million? I thought Cap Friendly hadn't refreshed after the Subban <laughs> trade when I saw yeah. that. Uh, when I saw yeah. that New Jersey still had $25 so, million in cap space. It's because they have they only have five forwards. Or no, wait, not five forwards. Yeah, five forwards signed over a million dollars. Hisher is still on his ELC, right? Yeah. So they're gonna Nico Hisher, yeah. John Hayden, Jesper Bratt, Kevin Rooney are all under a mill. And then you have Blake Coleman at 1.8, Miles Wood at 2.7, Kyle Palmieri at 4.6, Travis Zajac at, at, at 5.7. And then Taylor Hall at six. It's it's not it's not a bad trade for them because it's not going to put them in a cap situation. You know, by the time Subban's deal is up in three years, that's when likely Jack Hughes' ELC will be up, and he'll have to sign a new deal. Which, if he turns out to be the player we expect, he's going to probably sign for t- ten to thirteen million dollars when his ELC expires. Uh, Subban will be gone, and at that point, you hopefully are good enough that bringing in Subban convinces Taylor Hall to stay for those three years and that you can hopefully build enough around him by that point that you have a contender. So not only do you get Taylor Hall to stay, it doesn't hurt you in cap it. You're going to have enough, more than enough space to sign Nico Hischer to, uh, you know, to a contract after he, his ELC is done. And there really is nobody else for them to have to sign at this point. And anybody you draft is going to be, have to be signed later on anyway. So it, it's a win for them and it makes them competitive for the playoffs, which again helps keep Taylor Hall around. Yeah, I mean, the only reason, in my opinion, that New Jersey was even kind of on the board as a decent team was just what Hall did, uh, not last season, but the season before. And he kind of did it all on his own. I mean, MVP season. But the fact that he's their highest-paid player and he's at $6 million, it doesn't leave a whole lot of uh, skill and talent around on the other side of things. So they, they had the room. They didn't make the playoffs last year because Hall wasn't there uh, for a portion of it through injury. So this is a team that's, it's not very good without Hall. And so they, they have the cap space to get this stuff done. They're, they're kind of a, an up and coming team. Watch them go off a sheet Mitch Marner now for, for <laughs> they have all the money in the world. It's $25 they million dollars left in cap space. All they have to do is give up four first round picks. If it's over ten and a half million dollars, which it probably will be. I mean, I would, would probably, you do it? Yes. Quick I question. Would, before yeah. Get on would. The other in stuff, Jersey would, situation, would you give up, would you give up four for if you're New Jersey? Because it's different for for different teams. If you're yeah. New Jersey, where you are right now with what you have on your roster, do you give up four first round picks for Mitch Marner? No. Well, I mean, you got Travis Zajac with a no trade clause, Kyle Palmieri with a modified no trade clause. Those guys are twenty eight and thirty four. Travis Zajac's thirty four. 
Uh, Miles Wood, Blake Coleman, and Nico Heischer. Those are your... You know, the... Just imagine this. All. Imagine Jack Hughes, Taylor Hall, and Mitch Marner playing on a line together. <laughs> like... That would be one good line. And no, you got Nico Hitcher, <laughs> you've got uh, Kyle Palmieri, and then uh, you've got maybe Miles Wood or Blake Coleman. That's a hell of a one-two down the middle. Nico Hitcher mm. and Jack Hughes, it's... right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't I still I still wouldn't do it because I, I just, forgot about Hughes. You know, there. you got Corey Schneider and, and uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, and I don't know how good that's going to be. You've literally just really got PK Subban. I know Sammy Botnin's there. Uh, I know you know Green is still there, and yeah, the Butcher is yeah, but decent Green's as well. like half halfway to Florida re- to retire. But, his home. yeah, but four like first there's... round picks, especially <laughs> after you finish near the bottom of the league, is a lot to give up. Um, I think if it was under ten and a half, and it was two first, a second, and a third, that's something I would give up for Mitch Marner any day of the week. But four first-round picks for Four's a team a that lot. might, that one, especially when you might not be competitive, right? Like right now, I don't even know if I was the Ducks, I'd say I'd keep up four first-round picks in their position for Mitch Marner. Mm. It'd be tough. I would love Mitch Marner, but four first-round picks, especially the way the Ducks draft. I don't know yeah, the, the Jersey prospect pool as well as we know the Ducks, so I don't, it's hard for me it's, to say what's not, in the pool. It's not amazing. It's not amazing. Um, and, you know, they did pretty well this year, uh, but it's it's. Some of their guys just haven't panned out. Pavel Zaka hasn't panned out too much, but uh, uh, yeah, it it would be tough for them, I think, to do that. But they could go after Corey Perry. Yeah, let's 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 talk about that, please. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about Corey Perry. Very, very, very excited about this. So yeah, um, so well, we talked about him getting bought out. Obviously, everybody knows that on our last show, and uh, you know we went in depth on that. But there's been some more stuff. That surfaced primarily uh, people who are interested in Corey Perry and his first public comments in an article from Frank Cervelli. Um, I'm going to read that the one comment that just kind of hits me in the heart a bit uh, when he talks about missing out on his 1,000th game with the Ducks. Uh, in the article with Frank Cervelli, he said, It stings. How many guys have played 1,000 games with one team? Not many. I sit here and say, well, with some of the injuries, I would have already been there. I was so close. That's so sad. That's like so he was, close. he was what twelve games away, and if he didn't get injured this year, or didn't have the surgery, he would have been able to play those games. And you know, you can't keep him around just to play those twelve games as much as we don't love it because you got to buy him out now. Uh, there's no point in doing it at the end of the next season. It sucks that he didn't get to reach that. Yeah, it does. But I mean, we needed to do this. He needed to be off the team. It's unfortunate. The cap hit's going to suck next year for the Ducks. Um, or not this upcoming season, but the following season, the expansion draft year, that's going to suck. But um, this had to be done. And I'm very curious to see what the market is for him out there because nobody would take him, obviously, with that giant cap hit. The Ducks tried to make a trade. He gave him, what, like four to six teams, I think LeBron said, and nobody wanted him uh, for that cap hit. And so the Ducks buy him out. Now he's a, now he's a free agent. And Nashville's on the radar. Very puzzling to me how Nashville uh, wants a guy who's, um, you know, maybe broken still. You don't know what Corey Perry's going to look like next year. We do know, though, that he's 34 and had reconstructive knee surgery. And um, I don't know if I would take a risk on that guy, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm an up-and-coming team like this. Unless you got him I a real specialized million. role. He's going to want yeah. three to four million bucks. Nah, I think he'd probably do something really, really low because he's still getting paid. So what's the difference to him? He's in the twilight of his career. Uh, why wouldn't he want to do like one million and then like uh, special bonuses if he hits certain, you know, marks or something like that? He kind of bets on himself that he can do it. He says he says his knee is, you know, never felt better. And he's got a new training coach <laughs> and uh, I love that. all that publicity to get on a team and uh, all that fun stuff. But if if you're Nashville and you don't have to fork out too much money for it. 
why wouldn't you add him as a role player when it comes to a playoff, being pesky in your face? Just one more thing to make Nashville annoying and, um, you know, just bury him in the third or fourth line role. But I don't think he wants to do it. I think that was his big problem with the Ducks is that he didn't want to take lesser of a role uh, and have his time diminished. And that was kind of his biggest thing. But he also wants to be on a contender because he's running out of time. So he's kind of caught somewhere in between. I, I think, yeah, I think it's the same thing. He wants to go to a contender, but he wants to play top six minutes. And uh, I think there'll be teams out there that will give him the chance there. I and think so I think too. they'll give him, I think they'll give him the chance at three or four million. And I and I honestly think it's worth a gamble at that. When you look at what some of the top end forwards again, like three or four million two or three years ago, isn't the same as three or four million now. You know, guys are going to get paid. You know, Panarin's apparently getting twelve million dollars. Oh, no, I Christ. do you think Perry's a third of a player of Panarin? Probably, right? Panarin's a 90-point guy. Corey Perry could be a 30- or 40-point guy, 50-point guy. So you got to pay those guys 3 or $4 million. And you're also paying for the potential that Corey Perry could come back from surgery and not be the same, but be better. You know, his numbers when he came back showed he was a little bit better than last year. Obviously, a small sample size. But if I was a team that was contending, I would give him – I'd only give him one year because of the surgery. You never know how it's going to go. But I would give Corey Perry 3 or $4 million for one year if I had cap space and you were looking at maybe a veteran guy and, and hope that he's going to come back and want to prove himself, which if he's on a one-year deal, he's definitely going to want to do to get another contract after that. Uh, and I'm not surprised teams like Chicago and Nashville and Philadelphia are interested in him because he kind of fits – can he just go to the East Coast? To I really would be very upset if he ends up on the Hawks uh, or the Sharks or the Kings or Nashville, like any of those. Like, Can we just not deal with that? Ottawa. Just Ottawa. Uh, Coach Bombay said if uh, if he doesn't want too much, we should resign him. Unfortunately, after you buy a guy out, you can't resign can. him for a calendar year. So he wouldn't be able to come back until next year. Um, somebody brought up, I, uh, I think Joshua on our chat said, bring Perry back as a deadline acquisition, not this year, but uh, the season he intends to retire to finish those 12 games. I, I mean, it depends on what his, what his contract is at that point and, and where the Ducks are at down the road and if they even have the position for him on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if they needed a player like him, if he was still producing, if he wasn't making that much, it'd be cute to do that. It would be nice, right? <laughs> but uh, but I, I don't think, I don't think you know, at the deadline – where you're trying to add, you know, push. You're trying to push for a playoffs, but if he's not a valuable player at that point, why waste the cap space on, on Corey Perry? As much as I'd love to see him hit a thousand games in a Ducks uniform at some point, um, you know, that'd be a personal thing. You you don't need to do that at the, at the deadline. He's no matter what, if he hits a thousand or he stays at nine eighty eight, he's still going to get his number to the rafters at Honda Center. It doesn't really matter. Are you guys um, going to boo point, him when he comes back next year? If he's on Nashville, I mean, if you know, I. <laughs> It, it, it's tough. Like you don't want him scoring against us, and you boo. You you know, I I saw a tweet that you you put put out that you're gonna boo him because you boo everybody who comes into Honda Center and they're playing for a different team. I'm not gonna boo him when he touches the puck. No, not right? that. I don't. I don't want the the um, Korea hate. I won't be happy. I won't be happy if he scores against the Ducks and it causes them to lose a game. Or you know what I mean. If the Ducks are up eight one and he scores, I'm not gonna boo. I'm not gonna cry. You're a total uh, a hole if, if you're a Ducks fan and you're wearing your Perry jersey and he comes in in a Nashville jersey and beats your ass. In Honda Center oh, yeah, with yeah. like an overtime not, winner, like, and you're was, like, "Oh, yeah. Corey Perry, we miss you. I'm so sad you're yeah. not here. You got to boo I, the I'm guy." Not, I don't go That's... to obviously at most of the games because I'm not there. But you know, if he was playing, let's say Nashville, and Nashville is coming to Honda Center, or I'm watching the Nashville game, I'm not wearing a Corey Perry jersey when he's playing for another team, and he, he's coming to Anaheim because you know, as much as I love the guy, he's my favorite player, right? I like I'm 
I'm still not going to do that. I'm not going to boo him. Like, if anybody boos him when he touches the puck, nah, that's a little cold. bit far. That's not his fault. So he when, when are you out. booing him, Pat? Uh, uh, now when he scores. Pat's booing him when he scores. If, if uh, they read a goal off and he's the assist, he, he gets an assist or he scores on that play in Anaheim, I'm going to boo him. I, I wouldn't I just, boo, like, I would I boo just, anybody. I think, I think you cheer. have to put into perspective that you, you boo anybody who does that, right? You're not just doing it because it's Corey Perry. Like, you... You boo anybody who scores, right? Like that's he what you're saying. No, no, he'll boo. He'll boo Corey Perry specifically because it's Corey Perry. <laughs> no, no. I, I saw if Jimmy's like three I'll goals, say. and Corey Perry had a secondary assist on one of them. He's only booing. I'm Perry. just going to guarantee Perry. it. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just get all the hate. It'll be fun. <laughs> no, I I could not boo Perry. I mean, if he scores, he scores. I'm not going to cheer or you know whatever, but. At the same time, it's we're kind of robbed a little bit of, uh, you know, being as fans, I guess, being, you know, saying goodbye to Corey Perry because we didn't realize that this whole buyout was happening at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, that was always maybe a thought, but really I thought it was more of a Kessler is going to be bought out because Perry at least still has some functionality, although in a lesser uh, capacity. Uh, so you know, it kind of stings a little bit more just because it's kind of like we didn't we didn't just farewell. You know, I'm sure when he comes back for whatever team for the first time, there'll be a video montage and plenty of yeah. people cheering and all that other stuff. But then you'll and, have that one guy, Pat Bowie, for the yeah. whole montage. Well, D- Daniel just asked us, he said, does Perry get a standing O on his return? I, oh, I would for absolutely. Sure he does. I absolutely. would hope he does. He deserves it. He deserves it. He obviously said he deserves the video montage. But, yeah. Well, oh, you'll, be, you'll be drunk by that him. point. <laughs> Mickey said, I'm a fanboy for Perry. I, I will openly admit I'm a fanboy for Corey Perry. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being a fanboy for a player. I, it just doesn't hold the same emotion as, like, Korea and Solani did for me growing up, right? Because I'm, I'm older than you, Ed, so, like... Even, yeah, like it doesn't... That, it, you know, just... Even for me, it doesn't either, because I grew up with Korea and, and Solani as well, and, and then, obviously, like, later on, it was it was Corey Perry as well. But, you know, I obviously, I think I, I hold a little bit more emotion to Perry than you do, but it's still... It still doesn't feel as big of a loss as when Korea left or when when Solani left. It's not, you know, it sucks and it, it's hard to believe he's not going to be in Ducks jersey next year. But it still doesn't hold that weight, I think, as much, especially because the Ducks are transitioning right now, right? They're moving into a younger team, so it makes sense from a roster management perspective. So that's why I'm not too upset because getting rid of him and letting the younger kids play. It's a smart move. Like it makes sense to do that. You know the, that cap hit that they're gonna have to pay him isn't gonna hurt them. So I I, I think that's what helps it out a little bit. All right, the let's, twins let's... are done. Yeah, close too. I mean, oh. Gensoff's the last player of the championship squad. So that's, yeah. there's that. Uh, let's get to a couple of the Instagram questions before we get down to some of the duck stuff um, to wrap up. Um, David Roska asked Pavelski or doesn't ask. He responded to our uh, ask for questions by saying Pavelski to the Ducks. No, not really a fan. I don't no. want a 34-year-old center on the team. I just don't. And he's going to get paid because he scored over 30 goals last year. He's going to get, even if he gets a one- or two-year deal, I think what they said is it's similar to what Marlowe wanted when he left, where Marlowe wanted three years, but the Sharks weren't going to give him three. Uh, and Toronto gave him three and ended up backfiring. Some team's going to give him three, and in that third year, they're going to be on the hook for six, seven, eight million dollars. Uh, the Ducks can afford to do that but barely and there's no point because he's he's going to be 35 like if they were he's going to go to a competitor and when you look at who's interested in him it's tampa and dallas like he's going to go to a team or san jose if he returns he's going to go to a team that's competing for a Stanley cup right now i'd be a little concerned too just with the amount of concussions he sustained in the playoffs this last year hey, yeah, two uh, big for someone ones. two two big ones or blood gushing out of the helmet type uh concussions 
So at the, the same time, I'd just be a, a little wary of, of who you're getting because now he's 34. Now he's had two major concussions and one playoff. Is this something where, you know, this starts to affect his gameplay down the road? I, I definitely wouldn't want to start gambling uh, what little uh, or what money the Anaheim Ducks have for any sort of long-term contract or big money contract. That makes sense. So uh, Canadian Girl asks, who do you think are the best players from the 03 draft that coveted you know, most, oh. one of the most coveted drafts of all time, right? Everyone talks about the players. That's the year that a goalie went first overall, Marc-Andre Fleury. Oh, Fleury. There are so many great players. Uh, Eric Jay, Stahl. If, let's just give you, Eric if, Stahl if you gets pick three. Bergeron. We all have to pick three. Pick three of the best players off that draft. Um, well, obviously gets off of Perry, so who's the other one? <laughs> Oh, you can no, say Ryan Kessler. Uh, no, what wasn't uh, wasn't as uh, Stamkos is in that one? No, no here I'll, I'll read no. you off some of the names. So yeah. it's there's Eric Stahl, Patrice Bergeron, Thomas Vanek, Joe Pavelski, Parise, Carter, Brent Burns, Kessler, Suter, Backus, Shea Weber, Dustin Bufflin, uh, Mike Richards, Dion Phaneuf. Like the list goes on, but those are some of the top guys. Yeah, I would, I would say, I would honestly say Getzloff. I feel like A, he's won a cup. B, he's been the number one guy for almost all of his career, a face of the franchise, will become the first duck to ever play a thousand games, the captain of the team for as long as he has. He's going to hold a lot of offensive numbers when all said and done uh, for a franchise and just in general. He's just a beast to play against. The other one, I would say, is Brent Burns, just what he's been able to finally you know, accomplish with the exception of a Stanley Cup. That would help solidify it, but I mean, he's been just a powerhouse on uh, the defense and the offensive side of that, winning Norris trophies and all that other fun stuff. So I'd have them there, and then, gee, I don't know. I'm gonna I go mean, with Vanek just to piss off Pat. Yeah, you. I I, I want to hear what Pat's gonna say because I feel like you guys are sleeping on one guy. But I mean, clearly <laughs> for me, it would be Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, and Dustin Brown. Top three. <laughs> uh, Bergeron yeah. would be my third, by the way. Bergeron. <laughs> Yeah. No, for me is uh, I would take Gutzloff. Uh, I would put Mark Andre Fleury in that bucket as well. What a goalie! Um, and I'm trying to That's think who else is in that ball. draft. This is gonna kill me. Um, I'm not gonna say Corey Perry. That's the obvious. That's the obvious pick of, of that I think. I literally that, uh... named like 15 guys. To okay. Yeah. <laughs> rapid fire. Calm down. Okay. Fine. So Getzloff, <laughs> Mark Andre Fleury, and Shea Weber. Those will be my three. Oh, uh, you guys are sleeping on on um on Eric Perfect. Stahl. Oh, get nice out of here! Really? He's well... lead, he leads that entire draft class in points. Oh, uh, nine hundred seventy-four. Doesn't really... uh, I? I. Because okay, yeah, he's the only Getzloff. thing in Carolina. I, I would go Getzlaff, uh, uh, Stahl, and Bergeron are my uh, top three guys. It's hard to pick because Brent Burns is great. Uh, Stahl's a great player. I, That's true. Yeah, but uh, I'd have to go with those three. I mean, you know, they've all they've all got Stanley Cups as well. So, all right, and well, they're all cap- captains at one point. Actually, Bergeron wasn't a captain, was he? Because Char has been there forever. But yeah. Bergeron could have been a captain if Char wasn't there. So D seventeen Fraser asked a couple of things about uh, about our. Draft picks. He said uh, thoughts on picking the high schooler Lacombe with our, with our second rounder. We talked about that. Um, how excited were you when Anaheim drafted Zegras? And we all talked about that. I was super stoked. Uh, I know you guys were all really big on him as well. Uh, yeah. David Roska again with a couple. Uh, th- these are these are fun because uh, they're probably never going to happen, but they're fun to think about. Line eight to the Ducks, or and then also we wrote Duchesne to the Ducks. Uh, neither of those will happen, but. 
Who would you guys rather have between the two? The guy Lighting. with all the red flags with Lining Lighting. or Duchesne? Lighting. Yeah, because Duchesne's a good player, but I mean, right now the Ducks don't <laughs> need that. They don't need it, and Line is way younger, and he's a guy who can going to consistently score thirty or forty goals. Like if you looked at what the Ducks need right now, it'd be a guy like Line, right? Like rip him home. Line playing right? with Line yeah, being one of the best goal scorers in the league, playing with a guy you just drafted is one of the best playmakers in the last few drafts, and Trevor Zegras. That's what you that's what you dream of, right? But well, Pat, what you said, Line is the one with all the red flags. There was red flags yeah. with his attitude. He wants out of Winnipeg, that kind of stuff. And Steve Cordial talked do? about that. Uh, Duchesne, yeah, did Duchesne. you want to play in Ottawa? And did you want to play in Colorado? Probably Winnipeg. not. Probably not. Um, well, well you we... didn't say who you wanted, Pat. You oh, yeah. I, I would definitely take line A, too, for sure. Okay. He's, yeah. I mean, because guy's uh, got that bomb of a shot. We need a guy who can score on the power play. It's like, yeah. got to have that. Um, McCann says, and do you guys – Wait, what is the first it's part? It's a two-parter. He said, is Tracy's lack of emotion in response to getting drafted by An- Anaheim worrisome? And do you think his insane rise in draft stock was inflated from being on a good team? Yep, 100%. I think that um, was part of it. Uh, I'm not really worried about his his uh, his attitude. I mean, look at look at Connor McDavid when he goes drafted. He like looked like he wanted to kill himself. <laughs> I honestly think he was surprised. I, I think he was a guy that didn't expect him to, himself to go on on the first day. And, uh, you know, obviously had good talks with some teams, but I don't think he expected the way his season went and the way he the way he started and where he was at midterm rankings that he expected to go in the first round. I, I, you know, any of these guys are more than happy to go anywhere and just play in the NHL, especially a guy that was, you know, wasn't even ranked in in the top three rounds uh, back in, you know, November or December. Yeah, far from it for us to, to speculate why a, a teenager who just got drafted is, you know, not showing the emotion we would think. So it's probably shock. Kinda, yeah, it could be shocked for sure. So Chris uh, Valdivia, he asked, uh, what's more surprising? Or no, he asked, sorry, what grade would you give the Ducks overall in the draft? I would say a solid B for sure. They did really well. Yeah. I, I would go B plus because I, I felt like they kind of checked off a lot of the list of what what we've been hoping that they were going to do. And they stayed away from Sweden for the most part, so that's the <laughs> other uh, good, good thing that they did. So I thought they they addressed the needs where they where they were lacking or they're going to start to to really need that stuff. And you know, like I said, they they restocked the defense uh, in San Diego at least for a little bit. So I, I'd say B plus. Uh, I, I'd give him an A minus because uh, I really like Braden Tracy. I think he's going to be a top six player, a top six forward in, in the NHL. Uh, obviously, Trevor Zegers falling to nine is, is insane, and uh, you know, in the, when it's all said and done, he's probably going to be a top four, top five player from this draft, uh, which is insane when you look at the the talent in the first twelve. Uh, and then I like the home run swings uh, on Lacombe and on Yannick, and, and I like the safe pick and Thrun. Um, so I, I really liked their their first five picks. So I give them an A minus. And you can't really critique uh, what they did with the six round picks. I mean, they filled the positional need or an organizational need at that point and brought in defensemen. So I, I was more than happy with uh, with what they had. If they ended up getting Krebs at uh, eighteen, then it would have it's, a, it's yeah. an A plus. I think if you get if you get Krebs and Sigris, but uh, I, other than that, uh, I think it's definitely an A minus. Daniel Lowry asks this is the last question um, from Instagram. 
What's more surprising, the Ducks not taking any overagers or not taking any Europeans? I would say the European part is hundred percent European. I am so I can't believe they. I mean, they go American sometimes, and they're they've been digging the QMJHL for like the last three years. I I was more surprised they didn't go to Quebec and draft anybody. Uh, but yeah, the fact that they didn't draft any Europeans whatsoever, and there were good ones on the board and like typical like Ducks draft picks that I would have expected them to go out and get at lower parts of the draft too. Um, and they didn't get it. I mean, obviously, the the most the least surprising thing is they didn't draft any Russians. We know that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, they stayed, uh, stayed true to that form for sure. Uh, the fact they drafted no Swedes or uh, no Finns or anything, yeah, that was a bit surprising. So let's wrap the show, you guys, with the with the you know, the, the three signings that happened here the other day. Corbinian Holes are getting one year at eight fifty. Derek Grant, number one C, getting seven hundred K one year. And Ryan Miller coming back to solidify the goaltending tandem for a one-year, $1.125 million. Um, Pretty happy with all those, no? I mean, you, you need a yeah. seventh defenseman. Corbinian Holzer fills that role. Derek Grant was the only one I was kind of like, eh, I don't really know if we need it. It's like a 13th forward. Up, but, right? but yeah. so he's a 13th forward. You need those guys, too. Who, like he, if he gets healthy scratch, it's not a big deal. No. Uh, and he can, go, he can go all over the place. He's proven he can play all over the place if guys get injured. So, you, you know, Holzer's exactly the same. You get two uh, versatile depth guys for cheap, and they're one-year deal. So if it doesn't work out or whatever, you can move them or bury them in the minors, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, the one consistency the Ducks have always had is the fact that they get injured at some point. So, you know, yeah, maybe right. need those guys <laughs> that are familiar with, you know, the, the organization, the team, uh, not necessarily the coach, but, um, you know, they they can plug in should Getzloff go down with a knee injury or back injury like he kind of was towards the end of uh, last season. Um, or, you know, there's an injury somewhere else. Henrique seems to be pretty consistent, knock on wood. Uh, but, you know, Sam Steele, not quite sure. It just it's good to have that, those depth guys. And then my favorite, Ryan Miller. That guy could be a starter for quite a few teams, in my opinion. Just he's still at that level. Um, and so to get him at just barely north of a million dollars, and now you got someone that can help Gibby out and hopefully a new style of play that doesn't put so much pressure on Gibby and they can maybe switch a little bit more in and out and be good on any given night and have potentially a starting goalie uh, for that little is, is perfect. So, well, and they got their new guy for all the health and fitness, right? He's going to take a look at how these players Mm -hmm. are performing and maybe help them out with man games, right? He did that in Toronto, come back and maybe, Hey, Hey, dial it back here. Play Gibby a little yeah. less, Randy. How about you don't start him every damn night? <laughs> yeah, maybe um, maybe he'll whisper over the shoulder, shoulder and say, "Hey, if this guy's so tired he can't even stand up, let's not put him in the net tonight. Let's yeah. let's not let's not play him that much. You look like, at what he's doing for us. Like, how many times did we think John Gibson got injured on a play and he was just actually exhausted? Like, we could see it. how many times last like, year do we say oh, John Gibson dude. looks tired? Yeah, and apparently Randy Randy <laughs> Carlisle did notice it. And then like that Eric Stevens article comes out where they he was talking about how. Uh, he's been fatigued, and he, you know, he could barely play, and they were still throwing him over the boards. That's yeah, I mean, you shouldn't need yeah. to hire a guy to uh, to figure that out, but to hopefully just injury problems <laughs> in general will get better for the Ducks. Is that yeah. the best goaltending tandem in the league? Like, easily the best goaltending tandem in the league. Uh, goals saved above average. They have great save percentage. They played so well. Uh, now they it's finally have it's up there yeah yeah it's 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 in my opinion it, it, it is and that goes into yeah. i guess we could touch on here for a second is john gibson getting snubbed for the vesna right i mean not even votes well, that, it just goes I, I to don't show think he's gonna win 
No, but, he didn't need yeah, to win. Was Stubbs in the votes. He got he got one third place vote. <laughs> that was it. Like there was some guys From that Bob were Murray. Of them that they got more votes. <laughs> and were, yeah, really. Bob Murray was the only vote he got probably, and and Bob gave him a third place vote. <laughs> yeah, even then, nah, he's not that good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't believe I I don't remember the uh, the standings, but there was some guys that. Uh, that went in front of him that got more votes that uh, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, I didn't agree with Vasilevsky winning it anyway. I thought Ben Bishop should have won it, but you know, in, in my opinion, the, you know, you look at the underlying numbers for John Gibson, he should have still been a nominated guy. He's a top three uh, guy. Just, yeah. I, I think he's a top three, top four guy. Uh, you could argue that any day of the week. Yes. Especially with the underlying numbers and some of the major ones, but when it comes down to Vesna, it's always going to be, if the GMs are involved, is going to be wins. That's all they um, care about. Yeah. That's, that's their job. That's what makes the GMs look good if he's winning a lot of games, and that's what they're going to vote on. So get used to that until, like Ryan uh, Reeves said, uh, think... that uh, the GMs shouldn't be in charge of uh, – or no, he didn't say that. He said that you have to take into account the, the playoffs as well. That's what he was saying. I think Carter Hart got more and – B- and Bennington got more votes than he did. Oh, of course. And I think – I think obviously Bennington's recency bias, but Carter, I, I can't believe Carter. Carter Hart played good, but he got you know hyped in half he the season. And the fact that John Gibson was there the whole year, just getting absolutely destroyed by the Ducks' defense, and still putting up ridiculous numbers. Uh, if the Ducks were an average team, uh, he would have blown it out of the water. He would have easily won the, the Fesson Trophy. It would have been noticed. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have it. cracked thirty-five wins. So I mean, who knows if he would have actually won the Vesna? Because if sure. whoever wins the most, like Jason said, if you win the most. The GMs are yeah. like, oh, give it. That's to what that it guy. turned out. Vasilevsky, I think he, well, out of all the the three nominated oh, yeah. guys, he he won the most yeah, the games, most. Yep. even though Ben Bishop was the guy who probably deserved to get the trophy. Yep, hundred percent agree with that. Um, yeah. Is that it? You guys got anything else? Do we want to take it? Is there uh, any questions in chat before we wrap? I'm gonna, we had we had some free agency stuff, but I think we're going to save that uh, for a free agency show. We were just talking about the Ducks have eleven million dollars in cap space. We're going to look at free agency targets. Maybe we'll leave that for another show before free agency and we'll kind of explain that uh, it you know a gist of it is that the, we don't think the Ducks are going to look at too many guys in free agency uh it, they're they're rel- going to be relatively quiet but uh maybe that's something uh, we table for closer uh, the only other thing is uh Ducks dev camp is uh june 26th to june 29th and i Sucks. believe the uh i want to go the uh, yeah, the public the public day, the the open day is uh, the Saturday. I think that's the 29th, I believe. That's when they so. also are letting you meet Dallas Eakins at the Great Park. I mean, so many of our yeah. of our listeners have, uh, were so kind and invited Jason and I to go. Neither one of us can make it, unfortunately. It sucks. <laughs> I'll be in Arizona, and Jason's got family commitments. So it's just like, why that day? Why that day? Yeah, if it it's, was Sunday, uh, I'm in. <laughs> it, it, something, it's kind of interesting, though, because nobody's been able to figure out why Isaac Lindstrom isn't going. Uh, there's just he's just not on the roster and nobody can figure out why he's not listed and why he's not attending dev camp i still haven't figured out why he's not going he's the only one who's not going out of the ducks drafted prospects in the last four or five years that aren't playing full-time minutes right now or that are still with the team so that'll be interesting to figure out what's going there and they also didn't bring in uh, any camping fights outside of the, the, the players that they've drafted or signed as free agents. So Kiefer Sherwood and uh, Simon Benoit are the only free agent signings that they brought. Uh, everybody else is drafted other than Brendan Gooley, who they obviously got in trade for Brendan Montour last year. They brought no camping fights, and they're rolling with 15 forwards, nine defensemen, and four goalies, which is about six or seven uh, players fewer than most teams bring to their, their, their uh, development camp. So... 
interesting. I guess they're pretty happy with their prospect pool and, and really weren't impressed or couldn't uh, entice any of the undrafted guys to come out. It is weird. I mean, but, you know, the Ducks do weird things. They're the only one of the only teams that have an analytics department, which we could also save that for another day. Um, <laughs> do you, oh, breaking news, you guys, NHL-wise. Oh, William, William oh. Carlson signs an eight-year, $47 million contract with the Golden Knights. So... What, what is that? Like six, five, six, five million? Yeah, I mean, yeah, a little over, a little over six, or just under, right? Just under six mil. Yeah, it's a little over five because yeah, that's not bad. Years. That's not too bad. Not bad. You still don't know what he's going to be. <laughs> eight years is a long time. He got what he he got paid, man. <laughs> How old? Yeah, is Vegas. He? Vegas is a, Vegas is a tough decision cap wise to to get things under under their their books and working. So let's see. How old is William Carlson? He was born 26? in ninety three. He's twenty six. Yep. 26. Hey, so we... It might look good now, but yeah. Eight years is not too bad, right? It'll be 34. 34. At least we didn't have to pay him that much. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, so uh, we're looking at maybe doing a duck show this Sunday, day before free agency opens. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, because I I want to... The stuff we had for free agency here, uh, just so everybody knows, is we kind of looked at some targets. We were looking at the the Ducks' current roster and how there's a lot of log jams for positioning, and we're looking for openings on on where the Ducks could look for in free agency. Um, So we obviously want to get to that before before July 1st, before the Ducks bring anybody in and and kind of throw all of our our stuff and notes we made here out the window. Uh, So, yeah, we'll... uh, We'll have a show before July first. Uh, we'll let you know on on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram when uh, when we're going to be doing that. But uh, hopefully by then too, maybe we get some other news and, and you know if there's any trades or whatever, or you know obviously some more articles from uh, Eric Stevens or Josh Cooper or Lisa Dillman that will come out and uh, and give us some more information on this. And we're working on um, some more interviews as well. Uh, potentially some interviews with with some of the the Ducks' recent drafted prospects, and we'll be trying to get Josh Cooper and and some other people back on too. So we're we're working on some different things to have for the summer. Keep the summer busy. All right, guys, that's yeah. it for us. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our show, and we'll talk to you guys here in a couple of days. Sounds like to me. Have a good one. Bye, guys. See you guys.